Welcome back, Crimson Tide fans, to another episode of the Alabama Adaptive Athletics Podcast. I'm Dom Taylor, along with my co-host, Sean Burns. And as always, Sean, you know, this is this is a great opportunity for me every month because I get to like I get to reconnect with you, man. You know, I'm I'm always up top of my perch when we're doing our broadcasts. And I never get to actually like after the games, I don't say enough, you know, how are you doing? How was the game for you? And so this is a good chance for me. Let me just catch up with you real quick. Everything going all right? You doing all right today? Yeah, going good. Been a busy two weeks, but we're uh, we're we're knocking it out. And you know, we had a pretty good weekend last weekend in Texas. So um, excited to to finish off the last month of the season. Yes, yes, two huge wins for the men's team. Finally beating UTA, um, getting that uh, that challenge off your back. That was a great win there um, at the uh, Texas at Arlington tournament this last weekend. But before we do get into this episode, we just wanted to say thank you to Hollister, who is actually the sponsor of this episode. Uh, Alabama Adapted Athletics, one of our just our best sponsors, Hollister. They proudly serve us, Hollister Incorporated. They're dedicated to delivering the highest standard of quality and continence care products. Each member of the Hollister team is committed to making a difference in the lives of the people who use them. And to learn more about Hollister's continence care products and to find one that may work for you, visit Hollister.com or call one 808 7456 to speak with a member of the Hollister team. Thank you to Hollister for being a continued sponsor of Alabama Adapted Athletics. And now we can finally get into the main event of this episode, the person of honor joining us today on the podcast, a person of many titles and accomplishments, Josie Johnson, former Paralympian, or excuse me, never, it's really not former, it is Paralympian. You are a Paralympian. You won a bronze medal with uh, Dr. Margaret Strand. Uh, back in the 96 Atlanta Paralympics. You're a vice president of the NWBA um, for many years and currently working as a prosthetist, uh, orthotist. I said that right? Correct. Correct. Prosthetist, orthotist for the Veterans Affairs Office of Minnesota. Josie, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Great to hear. Great to hear. Thank you so much. I know you've got... you. Just so many things that you're uh, you're working on and um, obviously busy professional life, but thank you for taking the time to meet with us today. I think this is going to be a very interesting podcast. The way that I usually always start these out is to give our uh, listeners some context for um, whoever we are interviewing. And so I think the best place to start, I know it's general, but to give uh, our listeners some context, where did your career in adapted sports begin? Could you bring us back to, to when it began? Wow. That's a really great question. Yes. (laughs) So I um, started playing sports when I was really young. I'm one of nine children. So I'm the fifth of nine children. And um, I played able-bodied sports up until I went to the University of North Dakota. Um, I played basketball, volleyball, um, and a little little known fact to a lot of the people I work with today. Um, I actually lost my leg in a farm accident when I was five years old. So are you guys around farms at all? No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm like, are you guys city guys? So I grew up on a grain farm in Northern Minnesota. And as a five-year-old, I was playing where I shouldn't have been playing. And I got my foot caught in a grain auger So at that point, I was an amputee below my knee on the right side, and I was fit with the prostheses once I healed, and I wore that prostheses, you know, as I was growing, I'd have to be fit with new prostheses every couple of years, but 
I was raised as an able-bodied person. And when I say that, I mean, um, my parents didn't treat me any differently than my siblings. So I have five brothers, three sisters, and I was out doing work on the farm like the rest of them. And when I was in high school, I played stand-up basketball and also volleyball. And I remember being a senior in high school and I was doing well with the team. Um, I was a captain of the team. I was most valuable player. I was athlete of the year, but this is a really small town. So it was, I graduated with 22 people. Wow. <laughs> you know, a lot of people can't really imagine that. But um, while I was a senior in high school, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, I get a letter in the mail from Lou Shaver. And a lot of people in the wheelchair basketball world know who Lou Shaver is. He was a coach at Southwest Minnesota University. Is it SMSU? Yeah, Southwest Minnesota State. Yes, yes. So he's long retired. Sean, do you know who he is? Uh, just by name. He's actually yeah. authored different textbooks. Right. I've so read anyway, it. yeah, he sends me this letter saying, did you know that you might be eligible for a scholarship to play wheelchair basketball? And I remember seeing this letter and thinking, what in the world is this? Why would I play wheelchair basketball? And I threw that letter away. So I end up going to the University of North Dakota. I'm not sure what I'm going to go to school for. Um, I had kind of thought maybe I'm going to become an occupational therapist. So I had always done well in school. Um, I took two years of pretty general courses, and then I applied for the occupational therapy program, and it was very competitive and I was not accepted into the program. And I was actually pretty devastated because that's what I was gonna do. I had decided that was my path. So I meet with a career counselor at the University of North Dakota, and she talks to me about different options. Okay, what's my backup plan if I'm not gonna become an occupational therapist? And one of the options was recreation therapy. Never heard of it, but it was very interesting to me. So I sign up for an introduction to recreation therapy class. One of the first days of class, um, I'm told that we need to volunteer so many hours. And I look down the list of organizations we can volunteer with, and I see the North Dakota wall bangers. And I'm like, what are the North Dakota wall bangers? It's a wheelchair basketball group. I'd never seen wheelchair basketball. I'd never heard of wheelchair basketball. And I go out to practice the first night and I'm wearing a pair of shorts. And at that time, my prosthesis was very cosmetic. So it almost looked like I was wearing a knee brace. You couldn't necessarily tell that I was an amputee. And I was shaking balls. I was trying to help the team the best I could. And the coach asked me what happened to my knee. And I told him that I was an amputee and this light bulb pops <laughs> on above his head. And he says, did you know you could play wheelchair basketball? And I think back to that letter three years prior I had gotten from Lou Shaver. Did you know you're eligible for scholarships for wheelchair basketball? And I wasn't, to be totally truthful with you, I wasn't really excited about it. I didn't know how I felt about this because my whole life I had strived really to cover up my disability. I didn't necessarily want people to know what I was dealing with, um, but I, sat down in the chair and I tried it and I absolutely loved it. And I loved the people I was working with. 
Um, it was another sport for me. This was not a sport for people with physical disabilities. This was a very competitive sport. And I think having my background with stand-up basketball gave me a bit of an advantage, just you know, knowing the game of basketball. For me, the biggest challenge was learning how to operate that chair. So I played with the wall bangers um, while I was at the University of North Dakota. Great name, um, by the way. That's a phenomenal name. I love that. <laughs> the wall bangers. So good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be interested to know if there's any other team in the country called the wall bangers. It was pretty original. Surprised. I would yeah. be so surprised. You but know what? There was a lot of truth to the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bunch of pretty aggressive guys from North Dakota. Mm. I was the only woman on the team. Um, we traveled to the Minneapolis for a tournament, and at that tournament, I was introduced to some women from the Rolling Timberwolves. So it was a women's team based out of Minneapolis, um, and very quickly, I was connected with them. I continued training with the men's team, competing with the men's team, and then I would travel to tournaments with the women's team. So what a roller coaster, not what I had imagined. And my whole life really changed um, by not being accepted into the occupational therapy program. Wow. Wow. What a story. I love that's I mean, what a great way to start off this podcast first off. Thank you. Um, but that is just that's phenomenal. So so you don't get accepted into this program. Right. And you begin your career playing uh, wheelchair basketball. And as we mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, introing you, you end up winning a bronze medal at the 96 Paralympics. You play with Dr. Margaret Strand. Um, her, her name is um, obviously in front of our the building here where we're recording <laughs> with Strand Hard Arena. Right. And so um, what, talk about that, that middle journey. How did you get from, once you started playing, how did you find your way to the Paralympics? And, and um, just talk a little bit about that journey getting there. So I had mentioned that I played with both a men's team and a women's team in the Midwest. Um, the women's team really opened my eyes to the different opportunities that were available for women um, in sport. And I met lifelong friends, you know, that I competed with both in Minnesota, but then also with the women's team. So um, it, it's hard to explain the world of wheelchair sports for folks who are not familiar with it. You guys are really blessed out in Alabama because you've got such a strong program and everybody's familiar with it, but that's not the case in this area in the Midwest. So we would travel as, as the women's team, we would travel to the national tournament, wherever it might be, you know, across the country. And that was actually back before there were women's collegiate teams. So there was a pretty small group of, um, collegiate men's teams, but that wasn't the case for the women. So we would go to the tournament and typically when there was an international competition, the tryouts would be held immediately following the women's tournament. So I started playing um, in 1994. And after that first national tournament, total rookie, still learning how to use the wheelchair, um, I was encouraged to try out for the national team. And it would have been a gold cup team that year, two years before the Paralympics. And I was named as an alternate to that team. Um, and actually, Sean, I asked you about Dan Burns because Dan Burns was the head coach of that team. Yeah. And I really re have a lot of respect for him. He was out of Ball State at the time. And he was my first international wheelchair basketball coach. And he taught me so much. And that group of women taught me so much not just about the sport of wheelchair basketball, 
but about life, you know, and a chair is just like, um, I'm totally over oversimplifying this, but it's a part of your wardrobe. You know, you put on a pair of shoes, just like you use that chair to get through your everyday life. And for someone who had almost been brainwashed to be not disabled, um, it really helped me understand who I was as a person and accept my disability, even though I had never thought I had an issue with it. I really did. And I didn't want to face the idea that I was different than other people. You know, I didn't want to draw attention to myself. Um, and I just feel like being with this group of women, you know, starting with that team in 94 and then continuing to train with the women's team in Minnesota, trying out in 96 and being a part of that Paralympic team in 96. Um, I then went to the Gold Cup in 98, that was in Sydney, and then also the games in 2000. Um, but the game is in 2000, wonderful experience. We did not come home with a medal. We won the consolation bracket. So that was a little disappointing, but again, every experience was great. And when you asked me questions, when you asked if I would join the podcast, I was concerned that I wasn't going to remember all of these things because I'm kind of an old lady now, (laughs) (laughs) but what I remember most are those relationships and those, um, moments where I got to know myself and just growing into myself and being more comfortable with who I was and how could I make a difference in other people's lives by being who I am, not trying to be someone else. Um, I think that's really, so I did graduate from UND with a degree in recreation therapy, moved to Nebraska, worked as a recreation therapist, um, helped start a wheelchair program, a sports program through Madonna Rehab Hospital in Nebraska. Um, And then moved back to Minnesota because that's where I'm from. That's where my husband is from. Um, I couldn't find that same job that I had in Nebraska. And I started thinking like, what do I want to do with my life? And I decided to go back to school to become a prosthetist. And the interesting thing about that, when I was young, my mom used to always say, Josie, you should do what Larry does. So Larry was my very first prosthetist back in 1979. And I think I didn't want to do what my mom told me I should do. So I had to explore other options. Um, But I ended up going back to school and I love what I'm doing right now. I love working with people who are going through similar situations. And I think there are a lot of great prosthetists, orthotists out in the world who do not have a disability. Um, But I think having gone through it myself, you know, being able to share experiences with people um, has been pretty powerful for me. And I think it's helpful for a lot of the people that I work with. Mm -hmm. So it's this big circle of life. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, since we're on that topic here, um, I want to, there's a question that I am interested about um, regarding the Paralympics that we'll get to later. But since we're on this topic, um, I'm curious from, I, I'm, I'm an able-bodied person, um, and I'm always curious to, to hear the perspectives um, of different people, peoples with different disabilities and different yeah. um, just walks of life. And sure. so um, what is something as a prosthetist that the average person may not know about people with prosthetic limbs or um, just living that life? What do you think is something that um, the average person 
could really learn um, from somebody with uh, this particular situation in life? Sure. So that's a great question. And an example I can share is there are a lot of people who don't even know what a prosthetist is. And, you know, before we started the podcast, um, we worked on the enunciation of prosthetist, but a lot of people don't even know what a prosthetist is. So a lot of the people who are in our field have chosen this path because they know someone who has had to wear a prosthesis. Um, so basically a prosthetist is someone who fits people with artificial limbs, whether it's a hand or a leg, um, any kind of amputation when you have to replace that body part, that's what we do. We work with those folks. And um, the example that I wanted to share is there are lots of people in my field who are not amputees and that's wonderful. That's perfectly all right. Um, and then there are a lot of people who are amputees themselves and they feel very much like they have this bond with their patients. So basically you shake someone's hand and say, hey, I'm Josie, I'm an amputee. Um, that's not my best strategy. Um, I feel like it's really great to develop relationships with people. So as a new amputee, and I'm using amputation as my example because there's lots of other types of disabilities, obviously. Um, but these folks are experiencing this life-changing journey and they have lots of questions. They don't even know what those questions are initially until they live that life. And I think it's best for people to get to know me. So I get to know them as a patient. You know, we talk about the process and the quick version of it is I'm going to take a cast of this patient once they're healed and ready for a prosthesis, and then we're going to make an artificial limb for them to use in their everyday life. Usually along that journey, there's an appropriate time for them to learn that I'm an amputee. And a lot of times they discover it on their own. So when I'm at the office, I typically wear scrubs. And I don't have a cosmetic cover on my prosthesis. So maybe you've seen pictures of artificial limbs where there's a pylon um, and you can see that this is a prosthesis. You can see it's an artificial limb. Right. So sometimes just something as simple as bending over, my pant leg might come up and the patient will then see that I'm wearing a prosthesis and they have this aha moment of, wait a minute. <laughs> I've been working with you and I didn't even know that you were an amputee. It gives them this hope of, I can live a very normal life, do all of the things that I wanna do, maybe have to adapt them a bit, um, but it just, it, it's a good connection that I tend to have with my patients. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I, that, thank you for answering that because I've always been just curious to how, uh, different perspectives are. And um, I really appreciate that perspective. Um, another question I had on, on the topic of um, prosthetics is when, what is, what is the, um, the, the process for fitting somebody with, um, would it be fitting with a prosthetic or a prosthesis? That's also so, another question. I guess that's, that's a two-parter because it sure, you know, sure. learn some knowledge on uh, correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Go ahead. 
So normally someone undergoes an amputation and just a little bit of background, the number one cause of amputation, um, we all think, you know, it's something, you know, some kind of accident, you know, guys who are over fighting for our country. I work at the VA, so that's what a lot of people believe. But really the number one cause of lower limb amputation is diabetes, vascular disease. People don't have good circulation. They don't take care of their feet. They develop a sore, which may become infected and lead to amputation. And the amputation is basically, we need to take your limb in order to save your life. So the majority of amputees are also older adults you know, the folks who are dealing with diabetes. So once that, that patient has undergone an amputation, assuming they're healthy otherwise, it usually takes four, six, sometimes even eight weeks or longer for their limb to heal. Once the incision has healed and once their volume is stable, um, we take a cast and it's... Um, there are some people who use a scan, you know, they use technology a little differently than we do, but I still take a physical cast with my hands. Um, I send that cast to the lab and they make a test socket, which is basically a plastic um, socket that they're gonna put the residual limb in. And we hook that up to a pylon, a foot, we get them in the parallel bars. I work very closely with physical therapy and we, train them, we teach them to walk again. Um, that's referring to the most common, which is the below knee or the transtibial amputation. There are other types of patients we work with as well, not as commonly, but you know, people who have a partial hand amputation, sometimes we're doing something as basic as a silicone finger to you know, provide opposition when they're picking things up. It really depends on the situation, but we start out with a test socket. And then once they're comfortable with that, we then laminate the socket and create a finished prosthesis. Um, a lot of people like to choose a pattern. They want it to look really cool. It's the tattoo that they never had. Um, some people want it to look really cosmetic. So I told you when I was growing up, I always had a leg that looked like a leg. You know, it was tan in color. It had a suspension sleeve. So it looked like maybe I was wearing a sleeve on my knee. Um, for some people, that's really important, you know, so every patient is different. It's meeting with them, finding out what their goals are, and then helping them to reach those goals. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank, thank you so much for going through that. I, this is a very interesting, um, more of a, a niche topic that I don't think we often get to um, on, on the podcast. And I think it's a great learning experience for our listeners, for sure. Um, just depending on on uh, their their experience level um, in the world with uh, adapted athletes as well as um, disabled persons, and so thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I definitely want to get into we'll switch um, switch tracks here and talk about your experience in the NWBA um, because you sure. served on uh, in an administrative role as the vice president in the NWBA, and um, I know Sean, you had some uh, you had some questions that. Um, you were interested in asking um, about this particular topic, but I'll let you um, take it away uh, for this section. Yeah, you know, I was, I, if it's okay, I want to ask one question about prosthetics real quick. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious because I grew up doing track and field and playing mm -hmm. basketball and all kinds of sports. I'm curious about like how often or if you have experience, have you ever measured people for like a running leg? Or like, you know, the, uh, 
the blades? Sure, that's a great question. So it's a very small group of people who we would fit with a running prosthesis. Um, I've been at the VA now for four years and I have not worked with any running prosthetics primarily because a lot of the younger folks who are wearing those running specific prostheses, um, mm -hmm. they're working with Walter Reed, you know, so immediately after their amputation, they're going to Walter Reed. That's where they're fit with multiple prostheses. So yeah. they might be fit with an everyday limb, a running leg. Um, we actually do here in St. Cloud, um, we do a lot of water limbs. So people will have an everyday prosthesis. And right now I'm working with a gentleman. He really wants to play water volleyball, you know, so I'm fitting him with a water specific prosthesis. Um, but prior to switching over to the VA, I worked in private practice for about 15 years. And initially my residency was at a children's hospital. And we actually did a lot of um, running specific kid activity specific right. prostheses and it was a lot of fun you know it really challenges you um personally i have a running foot yeah. in my closet <laughs> i'm a very <laughs> low maintenance kind of person yeah. And the reality is I want a leg that I can use for everything. So I use the same prostheses every day and it's got a great foot that functions well while I walk throughout the day, but I can also go home and go for a jog on this foot. Yeah. Um, a lot of people see the running prosthetics and they think, wow, that's so cool, but they're really not designed for walking. So right. if you're gonna use that, let's say you're going on vacation, now you need this separate suitcase just to throw your water leg and your running leg. And I, I've got one. And then, like I said, I've got a running foot in the closet. <laughs> but I'm also not competing in the Paralympics running. That's a completely different story. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious, because you know, yeah. like, obviously, we have, we focus on wheelchair basketball and tennis here. But you know, I mean, there's like a whole world of sports out there that absolutely people don't necessarily get to see or uh, know about and things like that. So, but anyway, we'll, we'll switch to what we were supposed to be talking about. And <laughs> <laughs> tell me about how you got involved with, you know, the leadership side of the NWBA. Sure. So I actually stopped playing wheelchair basketball. Um, I believe it was 2002. So I went to the Paralympics in 2000. Um, my husband and I were married in 1995. Um, he was my high school sweetheart. We ended up getting married, moved to Nebraska for a while, came back to Minnesota. And um, he has been absolutely wonderful and supportive. Um, we kind of put starting a family on hold while I was, you know, chasing my um, wheelchair basketball dreams, I guess. Yeah. And we were both ready to start a family. So in 2002, I decided um, now is a good time. I started coaching a wheelchair basketball program in this area, in the St. Cloud, Minnesota area. It was a um, youth program, just introducing kids to wheelchair basketball. I loved it. Um, but my husband also coaches. So he coaches um, able-bodied stand-up basketball. He was coaching for a high school and it was a pretty big commitment. Um, he was gone a lot and I felt like both of us couldn't be chasing in different directions. So at that point we started our family and I had kind of 
literally hung my wheelchair up in our garage. I hadn't used it for quite a while. And I got a call. I'm trying to think of what year that would have been. Um, it was almost 10 years ago. Maybe it was nine years ago. I got a call from Doug Jones, who at the time was the president of the intercollegiate division of mm -hmm. the NWBA. And he said that the division was really looking for some leadership for folks who have been away from the sport or for people who really didn't have a connection with a specific university. Um, prior to this board, the intercollegiate division, and Sean, how long have you been involved with the division? Um, I mean, I, I played from at Alabama for five years. And then my first year coaching was 2019. Okay. Really like so, three years, I would say, because when you play, you don't really. You, don't, you you're yeah. on the court and you're in the hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. You, luckily you don't have to deal with all the, you know, gears within the division, right. but like this summer was the first time I even went yeah. to a meeting that wasn't on the internet. You know what I mean? So, right. And yeah, we're in such COVID. strange times right now. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, Doug Jones gave me a call and he said, hey, the intercollegiate division is really looking to grow and they're looking for leadership who is not directly involved with the team. Would you be interested? And it, it made me think a lot about wheelchair basketball and missing that part of my life. So I agreed to come on board. And um, at that point, and to this day, actually, I'm the vice president of the intercollegiate division. Um, we have meetings throughout the year, just making decisions based on, you know, growth of the sport, rules within the sport. Um, my main role right now feels like awards, right. you know, so recognizing athletes who have some really great accomplishments with their academics as well as their athletics. Um, so it's been nice because I get to reconnect with a lot yeah. of the folks I haven't seen in years, but then I also am able to watch the game and, you know, just kind of reignite that passion for the sport. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, and it's a perfect segue to the, the next question, which is, um, where you kind of see the future of the sport going, what, uh, what do you think would be good for the sport? What do you think maybe we should make some changes on? Like what, what kind of do you think for kids coming up in the next generation? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I feel like I'm always looking for growth. You know, that's something we've worked with um, within the intercollegiate division. I mentioned to you guys earlier in our discussion that um, when I started playing back in 1994, there was not a women's intercollegiate division. So seeing more teams join the division is really exciting for all of us. Um, I would love to see, and this has been a hot topic for several years now, classification in the junior division. So it's um, a better recruiting um, line for the coaches of the collegiate divisions. Um, and just a little history on that. Um, without a classification, you know, for the youth division, a lot of the lower class players, particularly girls, get weeded out because they join the sport. They don't get to play. That's not fun for them. They're not developing and they choose not to continue. So I know there's some progress in that area. Sean, maybe you know better than I. Are there two different classes now or is that still in conversation? Yeah, they have two. It's a J1 and a J2. So basically, you know, they split it in half. Yeah, which is uh, progress. <laughs> because it does create 
more playing opportunities where you don't see, you know, five class fours on the, on one team, you know, that team's going to win um, the championship. Like it's been in the past, but um, you know, I, I agree with you because if the junior division had ones to, you know I mean? It's just a better development for, for everybody. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I think there's been a lot of progress in that. I so, think so too, to look the at of the college division, like more kids are getting opportunities as well. Yes. Yes. So oh, it's yeah. exciting. It yeah. really is exciting to see the growth. Um, I am actually serving my last term as vice president. So we're going to have our nationals at UTA in March. They're right. just around the corner. Um, and then we typically have our annual meeting um, at the NWBA national tournament. And then I will be kicked off the board. <laughs> uh, that's a new rule, I think, right? It, it's fairly new, but I think it's really great. I mean, I enjoyed serving with this group of people, but right. it's always wonderful to have new ideas, fresh ideas. So um, yeah. I'm serving my last role right now. So this is my this is my going away party, you guys. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad that we, we get to have you and, you know. Thank you. Uh, it's been cool to see all the, the changes in the sport the last few years. So I uh, absolutely agree. It's working in a better direction than it's been before. So, so Josie, the last, the last thing I wanted to talk about was um, when I was talking to Margaret about having you on the podcast, she mentioned a funny story uh, involving your family that, uh, that you told her one time where you mentioned your husband um, coaches basketball and they were asking him for basketball tips and they didn't realize that <laughs> that you are a, I mean, a bronze medal winner. I mean, you you, you have you've played this your entire career in, in wheelchair basketball, and they were asking him for for tips for basketball. And I thought that was hysterical. But please, if you could, so kind it's of it's kind of a funny that. story because I'm mom. You know, right. dad is a basketball coach, and he's always coached my son. He's so I have a 13 year old and a 16 year old, mm -hmm. and my 13 year old is very much involved in sports. He loves cross country and running and basketball and soccer. And so he was, we were in the car as a family, you know, my 13 and 16 year old are in the back seat, and he's asking my husband all these questions about basketball. And um, I said, Seth, you never ask me any questions about basketball. And he's like, mom, dad's a coach. Like he knows all about basketball. And I'm like, Seth, do you realize I played in the Paralympics? And he's like, Paralympics. Like it's one of those things, like people who knew me during that time. I mean, this is, we're celebrating like 2020 Olympics, Paralympics right now. Right. I was back in 96, 2000. So it seems like a lifetime ago, people who knew me at that time knew me as this Paralympic athlete my kids didn't, you know, <laughs> so it's, I pulled out some scrapbooks and some albums and showed them my medal. And it was one of those things I'd never really talked to my kids about, you know? Mm -hmm. So now they might have a little notch more of respect for me, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one would hope so. I, I hope that they, uh, they've started to ask you some questions and, and uh, take some tips from you because clearly, I mean, yeah, you've got the, you've got the credentials. So thank you. <laughs> yes. That is, that was hysterical. I just, I, I just remember laughing when Margaret was telling us that story, but um, that is super great. I mean, I, I did a little research too on, on the, the Paralympics of uh, the 96 Atlanta Paralympics. And I mean, there was a, 
the way they described it on their website was there was a bald eagle and like 5,000 gospel singers that were in the opening ceremony. And I was like, that's epic. I mean, what, what a better way to open an, a, yeah. you know, an American hosted uh, Paralympic opening ceremony. I mean, that is just right. incredible. I'm sure that must've been. And then for the USA to, to come out on top in terms of total medal standings, 158 overall medals, um, according to their website. And the first Paralympic event um, to be televised in the U.S. It was getting uh, airtime on CBS, which is incredible. Um, I mean, that, that's a story to add to that. Yes, please, Sean. In 96, I think I was, I was three, I guess. I was going to say, tell me you were born, Sean. <laughs> I was, I was three. The Paralympic torch relay came through Charlotte. And I, was really? actually, I actually carried it. Uh, Do you part- remember that? Yeah, I have a replica version of it in my room at home. Wow. That's um, awesome. Like a poster and it has the date and everything on there. And it has, uh, I mean, you know, Blaze, the, the little mascot guy. I was scared of him. <laughs> <laughs> I have the poster on my wall and then the torches. Uh, yeah. In my room. It, so. it, it was a really great experience. And yeah. Margaret and I were on that team together and actually whole nother story and I'm not going to get into it, but I had a terrible moment. I was going to speak to Margaret's class. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm in Minnesota. You guys are in Alabama. You're an hour ahead of me. I mixed up the whole time issue, but oh, I have man. great, I have a couple great photos of our team, including Margaret and myself. And um, Margaret hasn't changed a bit. She really hasn't. Um, but such a great group of women. And that was really my first international experience, you know, because when I was on the team in 94, I was an alternate. So I trained with the team, but I did not travel with them. So 96 was my first international experience. It was in Atlanta. So not a whole lot of international, but just the crowds, the people that attended the games, you know, people asking you for your autograph. It was, it was pretty surreal. And it was just one of those, you'll never forget it. It was a really great experience. Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't imagine that just, it sounds amazing. And uh, to, to be able to represent the U S um, in the United States and um, to, you know, to come out victorious with a medal um, that is, you know, that's just a, it's such a rare feeling. So I'm, you know, it's amazing to hear from somebody who actually experienced it. So um, Josie, that that is actually everything that we wanted to talk with you um, about today. Amazing interview. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time. You, you gave some fantastic answers. And um, is there anything else that that we didn't hit or that you thought that uh, you think would be interesting to, to our listeners? I think you guys did a really great job. I'm glad you didn't leave it open-ended and say, just talk, because I don't know what I would have come up with, but absolutely, um, I'm excited to see. So is there a link for anyone to see your podcast or hear your podcast? Yes, actually. Thank you for saying that, because now I don't have to do the segue. Uh, <laughs> if you want to listen to the Alabama Adapted Athletics podcast, you can go to BamaAdapted.com. Um, we have our podcast uh, section right above our um, live stream page. And so if you just click that link. All of our podcast episodes are listed there. At the same time, they're also on um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and um, pretty much the big major sites that you can find podcasts on. Um, But Josie, I just want to thank you very, very much for your time and for sharing your amazing story and for talking with us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much. And good luck to both of you.
Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Well, that was Josie Johnson. Thank you so much for joining um, the podcast again. We'll get, we'll get into some program updates here real quick. Uh, just before we end this episode, the ABC Medical Classic is this weekend. Strand Hard Arena will be the host site for three other teams. We're going to be hosting Tampa Bay, Shepard, and Southeastern. And so they will be playing our men's and women's teams. We're back together as one big happy family this weekend. We don't have to split off and do, you know, some games with live streams, some without. We're all together in the same place. And uh, we'll, we're going to be giving uh, full coverage to all six of those games. The men are playing at 11, 7, and or 11 and 7 on Friday, and then 3 o'clock on Saturday. And the women's team is playing at 5 o'clock on Friday and 1 and 5 on Saturday. And, again, those games will be live streamed to BamaAdapted.com. As for our tennis team, the Wilson Invitational is Friday and Saturday, February 25th and the 26th. And we're working on getting those games live streamed to Bama Adapted as well. So a new development there for our tennis team. And uh, we will have announcements um, to make sure that we have all that information squared away. But that will be in the same place, BamaAdapted.com. And if you're not already following our socials on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Alabama Adapted, give us a follow if you haven't already. Thanks again to Hollister for sponsoring this episode. And, of course, huge thanks to Joseph Johnson for being a wonderful guest wish you the best going forward and for dom sean and joseph we thank you for listening this has been the alabama adapted athletics podcast we'll talk we'll talk